Happy Monday, and welcome back to another episode of the Andromeda Minute, a show where, uh, well, me, Jim O'Kane, and uh, guest hosts come and talk about probably one of the scarier and unfortunately very timely movies of our time, the 1971 Robert Wise-directed feature, The Andromeda Strain. As I said before, I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tbdads.com and The Rocketeer Minute. And I'm Ethan McKinley, the previous host of... uh Term, well, the two-minute Terminators, where I broke down the Terminator films two minutes at a time. Uh, my crazy accent, yes, I am from the UK. Uh, I've worked with Jim many times before on many other past podcasts, including my own. So uh, I'm happy to be here, Jim. Thank you for having me on the show. And of course, uh, it is a timely thing to talk about, as we are in the middle of a corona uh, lockdown, planet-wide, which is quite concerning. Uh, and of course, Jim O'Kane would make me have Unlucky 13 as the uh, minute that we're going from. <laughs> Well, I, I was I was born on the thirteenth, so uh, I do feel it wasn't a Friday, but it was uh, some kinship so, with an unlucky day. I feel I, it's my duty to make it less less unlucky. <laughs> so having having someone uh, on like you is just a stroke of luck. That's that's the way I feel. Well, of course. Um, and uh, these are these are not bad minutes. The ones we are going to be talking about this week. Uh, lots of uh, government knows everything uh, kind of moments, and uh, still, you know, in the middle of a scary thing. Last week we were seeing. Uh, uh, all these people showing up and and doing stuff and making mysterious calls and uh, uh, this weird uh, Air Force officer shows up at uh, Doctor Stone's uh, abode, which, uh, as I said last week, was this happens to be Marcus Welby's house and uh, Leave It to Beaver's house from uh, Universal <laughs> Studios. So, uh, oh, so uh, it's the same set, same set, yeah, same uh, front door. And uh, does that still right... exist? Is that on the Universal yeah, oh, backlot? Yeah. Yeah, and like actually, the Back to the Future Clock Tower and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you can drive through there, and when they come out of this, uh, we see briefly in this minute as they come out the door across the street is the heavily redone uh, Munster home. So, oh, of uh, course, yes, yes, yeah. Fred Gwynn. Yeah, there, there he is, and later uh, 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 that was actually used not in the movie but in the TV series Delta House, based on Animal House. So, ah, okay. Quite oh, of course, a, that's a Universal film, isn't it, Animal House? Right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, Jim, can I ask you a question before we get started? Sure. Why the Andromeda Strain? What effect does it had you, uh, had on you growing up? Did you see it at the movie theater or anything like that? I, I saw. You know, it's funny. I saw this. Um, I saw this on my birthday in uh, April of 1971, and I saw it a few days later. I went back to see it. I had say this was back when movies were a dollar, and <laughs> I I saw it on. Uh, it, it's funny when they have that little uh, scene coming up in a few minutes when they talk about. Uh, they're meeting at the Pentagon, having this secret session with a bunch of uh, congressmen. Mm. Um, the, it happened like on April nineteenth, nineteen seventy-one, and and April nineteenth, nineteen seventy-one, I was sitting in a movie theater watching this movie and thinking, oh, "That's today." This is torn <laughs> from the headlines. So when you were going into this film, Jim, because it is quite a a dour uh, film. Even the score is kind of experimental. I think Gil Melle, I think. Right. Yes. Uh, yes. Did you know what you were getting yourself in for going into this, or were you expecting some kind of like Planet of the Apes, Charlton Heston style sci-fi well, romp? <laughs> I had my uh, my aunt Trudy had uh, had a copy before this was a movie. This was a blockbuster uh, hit book. Uh, book. Yeah, mm. so it was a, a Ripper novel, and uh, one of Michael Fe Crichton's first. 
and uh, I read the first paperback version of it, which has a lot of the scenes that you, a lot of the things that you see, the 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 illustrations and stuff that you see in the title sequence at the beginning of this film, are part of the book. When you scan through it, you're reading about different things like bio war maps and stuff, and they're they're presented as a found document style of thing. So uh, when I saw that in the movie, it's like, wow, this is just like the book that my aunt Trudy lent me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, re- reading about it, it's it, it's very different. It's a lot simpler in this one, but you and you don't get a lot of the background of what's going on and why the different people are are here doing things. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, it's still it, it, it. I was surprised at how much the movie is like the book. They didn't really leave a lot out. Well, Crichton did the screenplay. I think Robert Wise said, it, if if possible, he always likes the uh, the actual novelist or the writer to uh, obviously adapt his own book. So. Uh, I've just watched the making of basically. So. Uh. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, it is quite a a, a, a nice little bit, and uh, surprisingly, was... I mean, apart from a, a couple of major sets that they built, most of it was filmed on either locations or easily changed stuff on the uh, Universal backlot. So mm. I think it came in on a good budget, and um, plus with getting all that scientific equipment that we're going to be seeing coming up in a little bit. Um, that Did it was... do well? Uh, I think so i think it did pretty good for that summer it was um yeah nowadays it's kind was of it, looked was, on was, as a, was this a sorry to interrupt was this a pg this was g actually oh g for general audiences and there are things in here like you know killing monkeys and topless corpses and uh you know <laughs> naked james olsen uh i was surprised that this was a g-rated film but yeah it was uh, fun how for did, all how audiences. Did the mpa work that thing because i know like in spielberg was a friend of sid scheinberg who i think ran the mpaa at the time and I think he got the PG-13 thing brought in for, I think, either Indiana Jones or I think it was something else. Yeah, Temple uh, of Doom. Temple, Temple of Doom. Doom was the first, uh, first But everything before them was either G or what? R? It was uh, <laughs> G. And then, there, no, there was something called M for mature audiences. And that would be if it, kind of like the way PG works, that you needed to have your parents with you, but it was suggested for mature audiences. And then R was restricted for anyone uh, 17 or under. Right. And then X would mean that it wasn't, re- it was, it wasn't reviewed by the... Uh, MPA because it was considered objectionable. So X, even though X was listed as a rating, it wasn't an official MPAA rating. That just means not rated because it's not fit for. Um, so that's you know, kind of a, you don't want that at all. It's being like classed as porn or something, perhaps worse. Right. So similar to the way uh, NC 17s in a lot of malls, you're not allowed to show NC 17 movies. Right. Okay. So, um, it, it, yeah, it, it's it, such it, a funny thing. I can't, the rating system then, it's. Uh... Was, was this class as educational? Is that why it was a G, or they just had nothing else to kind of make no, it? I, apparently, they, they just didn't like, you know, foul language. There's a couple of dams and hells in this thing, but there's no... I think they mostly <laughs> focused on the uh, on the swear words and didn't bother with, you know, congealed blood pouring out of a wrist or a yeah. chewed out eyeballs and stuff. That didn't really count. So, mm. it, it's, so uh, I get, We're coming out of the 60s now, aren't we? And I think the 70s is probably the most grim and dour still perhaps even today a decade of uh, films i guess brought on by the vietnam uh war everything was kind of very bleak wasn't it you had like the french connection and things and uh i think jaws is quite a kind of uh it's got like yeah, some jo- bleak yeah jaws would be a little bit later that would be about, about uh five years later but yeah in 1970 there just everything was coming out there and it was a lot of uh, counterculture stuff um, you're also seeing experimental films, uh, uh, most notably at this time, Woodstock. Uh, and mm. Woods- Woodstock had uh, had a rather unique style in that uh, the split screen was developed. Optical printers became a little bit more complex. So you'd see multi, 
multi-image scenes, which we do see in this movie during some of the it's dream sequences. Diopter, I think, isn't it, where they split the focus, so you've got two. And the, there are, yeah, there are split diopter things. We just saw that in the in the past minute, where the fellow said, "Or, or we'll go get him." Uh, that you know, we're seeing the backgrounds in focus and the, the foreground object is in focus. Yeah. So uh, I think De Palma of, was a fan of that, wasn't he? It's in all most yeah. of his films, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know Robert Wise being part of that whole thing. Robert Wise coming from, of course, Citizen Kane, working on the uh, on the editing of that, um, and under the direction of, uh, of cinematographer Greg Toland, he learned a lot as a young man as, uh, of to trying that uh, manipulating the the landscape on on a screen that we're not looking at this with our eyes, we're looking at it with our brains. Mm. So you see a lot of Robert Wise touches uh, in this film, and and trying to be hip and now with. The seventies, uh, uh, tr- you know, traveling mats and things like that, and, and multi images on the screen. It's kind of a so, strange director, isn't he, Robert Wise? Because you don't think about it, but then you look at his resume, and he's got West Side Story, The Sound of Music, The Andromeda Strain, Star Trek, all these like pretty amazing, The Haunting for crying out loud, all these, uh, the Sand Pebbles, all these like uh, yeah, Ben Hur, you know, yeah, it's 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 very yeah, he he's huge. He loves a big screen. He loves epic stories. He's like the and, blockbuster director of his day, wasn't he? Really. Yeah, yeah, and he, you know, it's interesting how he picked up. He really didn't have a type. His right. style, his style was mostly static camera. You, he like, he did like painting a big picture on screen and letting you soak it in rather than moving your eyes around. You know, he didn't do a lot of following shots. Mm. Um, but this one is told uh, to me. It feels almost like a TV episode. It's very, it's very shot. You know, shot reverse shot kind of things, tracking people through a room, yeah. uh, never crossing the uh, the axis when you're showing two two people talking um and uh you know even right here we see uh arthur hill gets in the car and they close the door and we're see we're still seeing arthur hill in the same spot that we saw him when he got in the car so you know it, that, that's placed in your brain and you have to watch where the arthur hill portion of the screen is yeah so um i was gonna say michael Crichton wrote the book of course uh when was the book written and what's it like an answer to because I, I think in the 50s you've got them and kind of then you got body snatches and things and then uh you know day the earth stood still which michael uh robert wise obviously directed so it was all kind of like uh this paranoia perhaps of the communists and things so what was uh yeah, this, the this 70s be... sci-fi it's all dystopian wasn't it but what was this uh i would i would say it's it's in line with uh, other other dystopian no- or you know dystopian or or maybe oppressive novels not not necessarily dystopia but an op- oppression novel um i would compare this with things like uh, fantastic voyage mm. or um for for novels i would say um Demon uh, Celia was put in the same box with this as well. Yeah, I think. Julie Christie and all that. Yeah, and and uh, Colossus, the Forbin project, where what what do you do if you you've you've turned over the failsafe devices to a computer yeah. and the computer decides it's better than you are? So, uh, you know, and that and that was just the year before, 1969. So you have mm. that, and then you're coming across all these um, end of the world kind of stories. You have on the beach in 1959. You have failsafe in 1965. Uh, things like the Manchurian Candidate, which are political thrillers. But we move away from the political thriller, and then we start talking about what uh, what Tom Clancy refers to as the techno-thriller. And Crichton could be in the vanguard of the techno-thriller writers. Yeah. You'd see it here. You see it in things like The Stand, Stephen King's The Stand. Um, all that stuff that developed in the early, uh, the early 70s, late 60s, uh, this constant distrust of science, this thing of you're playing with the genie in the bottle and you, and you let the genie out. You're not exactly sure if it's a good genie or a bad genie. Mm. So this is uh, you know, just quite remarkable of how much 
it's affected. It, 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 I mean, it affects us in in modern uh, storytelling, but I think Crichton affected people like Stephen King in in writing the kind of books that he does from this idea. And this is this is pretty much just all hard science fiction. There's no magic. There's no, no. Um, you know. And the the enemy is is the government that created it or the government that brought it on home. Mm. Um, but this this whole worry, this uh, this paranoia that uh, people like uh, Alan Pacula. Uh, uh, fostered in the in the late sixties. He, Pacula, of course, had uh, things like uh, the President's Menace, or am I wrong? Well, no. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. but before but before that, that was that would go into nonfiction. But before that, we had the Parallax View. Oh yes, and, yes. And then uh, we also had things like uh, Three Days of the Condor in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. So it's all this just distrust of an omniscient of a government that's omniscient but not infallible. Do you think that's and, because of the Vietnam era? Because I think, weirdly, because yeah. as an outsider, as a British person, looking at the 50s, from my point of view, it was all very optimistic, world's fair. This is the world of the future. This is the kitchen yeah. of the future. But all the sci-fi films were all kind of like, uh, not bleak, but always kind of paranoid about, obviously, an alternative political view seeping into the American infrastructure. Yeah, Whereas, it's, I mean, it, it, but, you know, and, and the, Brit, the Brits have it, uh, have it too um, with... Uh, Oh gosh! Um, now I'm trying to figure. Uh, uh, what's uh, something in the pit? Uh, the the oh, quite a mass. Cr- quite a, yeah, the quite yeah. a mass. I mean, that's that's more like that 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 goes back to the Mary Shelley days of you're messing with things you don't know about. You yeah, know, that whole that whole Promethean so think, idea. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ancient gods and things and uh, yeah, Lovecrafty yeah. and stuff. I think like the seventies, like the Tom Baker kind of era. Doctor Who was very quite a massy. I'm the t- yeah. the uh, what is it? Sean, not Sean Pertwee. Is it Sean Pertwee? Or is that the son? Sean Pertwee. Um, is it John Pertwee? Sorry, John the Pertwee. Yeah, yeah. John, yeah. By the way, who's yeah. the, who's this lady with this very f- smashing blouse on? <laughs> oh, um, you know, I do, and of course, you asked me this one. I, I don't have my cast list up, but uh, yeah, it's funny. When I was watching this, when I was watching this show, I would come home from school every day, and my mom watched soap operas. Uh, in the afternoon, and um, it's magnificent hair. I mean, there was yeah. She had, that's like two bottles of Aquanet right there. She could go. She could withstand a. I think a, a, a class a five hurricane. Yeah, um, but she she was the she was the star of a of a, a soap opera called Bright Promise, mm. and uh, her husband was wanted for murder. And uh, in the story was, or real life? In the in the story in the story, okay. and she would. She was bouncing in and out of like one soap opera after another. She was on just to name a couple of American soap operas. She was on Days of Our Lives, That Doctors, Another World, and she was on Bright Promise. And it's just she was gosh, she just had a permanent problem in her life. And seeing her in this, it's like, yeah, well, my husband has been taken away by Air Force uh, personnel. <laughs> this is this is the ideal role for her. It's like get that woman on the set. Um, and you know, it, it's funny, I. Was that soap another Universal project? Because is she some kind of like contract player at the studio? Therefore, they kind no, of just well, cross fertilize the uh, talent. I think actually the, the soap operas were it was an NBC project, so it could have been. This was NBC Universal back in the day. Mm. Um, it could have been part of she may she may have had some some ties with them, but most of the most of the soap operas of the day were sponsored by uh, well, that, why they were called soap soap operas was because they were sponsored by soap companies. So Procter and Gamble. Uh, had uh, had pretty much owned her contract, right? And uh, she was, you know, she's a, a bit player, and and most of these people, they were universal contract players. Uh, they're, you know, if, if you didn't see them here, Arthur Hill, of course, uh, being most famously on uh, Owen Marshall, Attorney at Law, which was a '60s um, procedural uh, attorney attorney show. 
so they were all they were all working pretty much on the lot with uh, NBC's movie mystery mystery of the week um, things like McCloud, Banachek, yeah. Ironside, uh, all the NBC uh, shows. Generally, they, they would have a deal with Universal to uh, to be Ironside's on. Ironside's Raymond bunch Burr, of, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. he would be like. Like Arthur Hill would show up, and he would be like a um, a banker who was, you know, wanted for murder and that, that kind of things. I was getting so, him and Perry Mason mixed up. Are they the same person? They're both in a wheelchair, uh, yeah. right? No, no uh, Perry Perry Mason was quite quite um, mobile. Okay, um, but yeah, they, all all of these people had had other jobs, so they're familiar faces. But again, no stars in no. The, in in this show. And uh, I, I talked about this earlier, but most of them were just really thankful. To be on a big screen, Arthur Hill wasn't on a big screen. David Wayne, uh, who plays Charles Dutton, uh, we'll be talking about him later on in this week. Uh, David Wayne was uh, you know, a guy that was always the kooky professor in you know some comedy. He was on like I Dream of Genie and things like that. You yeah. see him in 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 different shows. Um, and uh, you know most of them. That I think that was the weakest part of this is that there was no Burt Lancaster. There was no you know Dean Martin or, or um, Will Holt, William Holden. Well, I mean that's better isn't it i mean this it's uh i think when you're going to see a tom cruise movie it's still the movie's awesome but it's still tom cruise whoever right. he's playing because he's such a famous person i think that's uh it does help things like this if you don't know who the people are i mean uh, yeah, yeah yeah and you you feel you feel a very close identification with the story because you don't know oh this is just a hollywood actor and you believe them i think a bit more yeah because you don't otherwise know it jumps out the screen at you do you know what i mean yeah. it's uh would have been like if they didn't cast christopher reeve as superman they got or like Burt Reynolds or Robert Redford or Cassius Clay, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or were the choices available? Yeah, it, it just it just wouldn't have gone. But one thing that bothers me in this particular minute, uh, mm. after she, you know, he he slams the door in her face and she's yelling Jeremy, and she doesn't bother opening the door and said, "Are you hearing me, Jeremy?" You know, she just kind of leaves <laughs> the door closed. She's left behind with this room full of uh, professors and things that had, you know, were, were talking about what they were going to do and where, where they were moving to and who was going to be working at Berkeley next year. So what does she tell them? Oh, yeah, my, my husband just got dragged off by some MPs. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it's all about. It's a matter There's of no national security. no luck with her husbands, this woman. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and, and she goes in, and her, her father apparently is a, is a U.S. senator. So she she goes in and you know dials him up on the phone and yeah. of course the all knowing government has already bugged their bugged their lines and you know God knows how long they've been listening to them online. So uh, we get that that nice uh, almost recorded message. Thank you for you know not not spilling uh, national secrets and your <laughs> phone's been disconnected and then you get that nice old. <laughs> Uh, unrecognizable to younger people that the uh, the noise that follows is the older style U.S. Uh, dial tone. Oh, so okay. It's, uh, we've we moved on to a, a newer dial tone age where it's like an A and a, a B flat. I've heard no A and a C. I think there's it's like set, it, it it's like eight eighty and three fifty or something. So it kind of gets that nice cheery. T- oh, British British phones have about the same tone. They do, yeah. Which you can barely hear over the crackle of a ninety percent rayon blouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's sending off uh, static charges just everywhere. Setting fire to her Aquanet laden hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's uh, doing doing a good job, and then you know winds up staring at the holes in her receiver, going, "Hmm, this is you know, she really knows how to pull that face." Hmm. Um, but uh, what does she do after that? Does she go back? I mean, how, I'm assuming that this happens immediately after he leaves. So she has to go back down to that room full of people and yes. somehow get them out of her house. <laughs> uh, what a, 
a peculiar life she's she's lived and it's amazing how much uh, jeremy hasn't told her about his life well no this is the uh you could you could dovetail this into true lies and maybe arnold schwarzenegger could be yeah. her, uh, a spy <laughs> <laughs> i'm a spy what can i say I, I i do want to look into the andromeda strain too where she's recruited and has to go into level five um, <laughs> has this film ever been remade jim it seems like it'd yeah, be right yeah, yeah. for a, a remake even if it was a tv one i didn't look yes. that up i should have Un unfortunately it was remade into a mini series on the sci-fi network which had an even lower budget and uh more more things you know if this is good why don't we add 70 70 more uh little facets to the show and add more characters and and drag it out and uh i mean th this show is a little bit light and very straightforward but the other mm. one is just Game of Thrones looks simple compared to the all the oh, junk okay. they were tossing in on top. I I I really don't have a well. That's sci-fi, isn't it? I think it needs a better uh, platform or a studio yeah. or company to perhaps uh, uh, yeah, redo the, it. The only terror there is that you know, suppose like you were saying, suppose Tom Cruise got a hold of this property and <laughs> he'd be like, he'd you know, have vials of the virus. He's trying to get somewhere before the Russians yeah. get to him or <laughs> with his hair yeah, on fire. It just, <laughs> just horrifying yeah so um and you know the pace of this film is so you know you look at and i i've lived with these films so i don't i don't mind it but i can't imagine the, the glacial pace trying to get anywhere in a, on a modern audience where you spend fully three quarters of this minute looking at somebody staring at the cover of a file and uh you know <laughs> for, reading for this, ages <laughs> yeah, reading reading the stuff. You know, it's it's like reading. It's like about you're about to play a game, and you spend the first half hour reading the end user license agreement on, on the. When on do the you think the, the editing style uh, changed? By the way, because I think we got this for like MTV style of smash cuts, and you'd see a second. I mean, audience are so attuned. The audiences now are so attuned to, I think, gathering information from screens quite quickly and picking things up. Things are obviously very fast paced editing. What was the yeah. turning point in film, do you think, when things began um, to change? Or was it just television that did that? I think, well, I think TV had a big, had a, and of course MTV being part of television, but I think a lot of experimental stuff that came out in the late 70s kind of leaned us toward that way. I'm trying mm. to imagine, I mean, if you if you think back as far back as Star Wars, even Star well, I was Wars. I say George Lucas's student films are very kind of like, uh, you know, told with pictures but very quickly cut it's not, i think it's not thx there's something before that he did which was all still images and it kind of uh it's all image and sound but it's all very very quick but you can like pick it up and things there was a i'm trying to remember back in 1968 or 69 on the smothers brothers comedy hour right there was somebody who had edited um edited the history of the united states Based uh, and they edited it to the to the tempo of uh, classical gas by Mason Williams. Okay, and it showed like old pictures of uh, you know like Courier and Ives prints and and drawings of uh, signing of the Constitution and things like that. And it was done with like you know two frames each, and you're just bip, 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 bip. you could barely barely relate to it mm. uh, as, as you're watching the thing, um, but. It, it was a very rapid fire thing and i think that whole psychedelic idea came about that you know that that's that was a little too much but then moving back to where you'd have uh things cutting back and forth i mean if you watch the french connection the french connection is all um you know half second cuts two second sure. cuts yeah so i think and and that was that was kind of a bleed over from television shows so right. I, th I think that's where it was and, and once it became 
once it became a part where the the work print was cut on video rather than where you, you run off a work print and you're cutting film with acetate and gluing it together and things like that um i think it once it became easier to make the edits that's when the speed picked up um because it is a it is a if you've ever physically cut film it is a nightmare trying to trying to come up with these things and remembering how many frames, you know, how many frames you're in on this, this scene and how many frames you go on that scene. Mm. Um, but being able to do that in something like, well, today you'd have things like after effects or premiere pro or all that. You, you can just sit there and click away. Well, I think really um, Scott said that when he was editing alien with Terry Rawlings, you'd have to go and get a can of film, uh, put it on the machine, the feed it through, uh, go through stuff. If you didn't like it, you have to go and get another can of film and change this. <laughs> Whereas now, like you said, with all these, uh, editing softwares and things like avid and things you just like press button bang find this you know somewhere else on a hard drive put it in quickly you can like uh, i mean they they edit my friends in a tv show called pennyworth oh we I mean, you know about this don't you want oh yeah yeah oh yeah uh but they're they're filming as they're filming it they're p passing over the rushes to the editor and he's doing a rough cut that week as they're shooting part of that episode so it's i mean wow. it's that quick now it's it's ridiculous yeah yeah I, I, you can see if you go back to i mean this was kind of a little bit late for it because, it, well, for one thing, they had the money for it. But if you watch movies from the 50s and 60s and you see anything like a dissolve mm. uh, or as an optical print, you can actually see the jump where that that optical dissolve is very expensive to uh, to process. Mm. So you'll see the contrast when you get it to a dissolve. You'll see the contrast suddenly change at the end of a scene. The dissolve will happen, and then the contrast will change back as they've edited in the expensive, you know, the expensive dissolve that was maybe thirty frames. So it, these are things that you can watch on older movies and just go, "Oh yeah, that really was expensive back then." We just didn't want to spend the cash on, you know, optically printing the entire movie. Yeah, of course. Oh, uh, but, uh, yeah, generally this this minute, I don't know. Do we feel sorry for Allison? Do, did do we or do we think that uh, Doctor Stone's a bit of a jerk for not letting her in on what was going to happen, or both? I don't. I say both. I mean, uh, such is the life of uh, get a fifties housewife. Is think even though this is the seventies, it's like yeah. shut up, woman. <laughs> it's like yeah, it was, it was filmed by a guy from the thirties, so it was, you know, it, it's uh, <laughs> she really didn't have a, a a role in his life other than you know kiss her on the forehead and bolt, um, and she's left clean. Of course, she came, kind of came from a life of privilege, so I, I think she just let the men in her life handle all these things. The first thing she did was as it run. should be, yeah. <laughs> Well, she she runs home to daddy and says, "Daddy, you know my my husband's been taken away by the men." Um, so anyway, just uh, and then I mean, gosh, the the very worst kind of exposition there is, other than reading a letter from home, where he's actually reading the report, and we get to sit for the next well part of this minute and half of the next, uh, reading over his shoulder as to what the uh, what project scoop was. Mm. Um, just kind of a. Uh, I hope I hope there was a very literate audience at the time. I, as an eleven-year-old, I don't rec I, I knew what was on the thing since I read the book, but I don't know what it was like for people who hadn't read the book already to know what no. what was going on. Damn, um, but tedious, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> that's that's where I'm at with this minute. But uh, we can talk a little bit more about uh, reading stuff and things uh, uh, on Wednesday. We, we can we can come, come back uh, obviously tomorrow or um, yeah or back when, on Wednesday. We're, yeah, we're doing this three a week, so we'll be okay. midweek midweek. So everybody can. Everybody just you know tilt back in your chairs and, and chew in your pens and, we'll, and look at the ceiling and think about think about what we've done. So, <laughs> but uh, for folks who would like to uh, come back and talk with us about this, uh, it's always available. Uh, we, we're always available on Facebook to talk. Um, 
which uh, right now is Project Wildfire uh, is is right there on uh, on Facebook, and you can join us. We're already in discussions about things. Uh, and Twitter, of course, on Andromeda Minute. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch all of them back on uh, andromedaminute.com, which is out, out there now. And, uh, of course, it's available on uh, things like Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, or wherever your fine uh, podcatchers pick this stuff up. Um, I'm trying to think what else is, is out there uh, that, we, that we can think about. That, but I think social – oh, you know, actually, Ethan, wh- where can people find your great works? Oh, well, if you want to listen to the uh... – we did five movies up until Terminator Genesis. So if you want to listen to me break down the Terminator films two minutes at a time, you can. And your Jim's in there somewhere, among other guest uh, oh, yeah. hosts. Uh, the Two Minute Terminator, uh, which is now residing and retired uh, on YouTube. I think there's about four hundred odd episodes there. So if you, if you want to, if you like, my, if you like me, you can have four hundred <laughs> episodes of me. Uh, just type in uh, Two Minute Terminator on YouTube. If you want to find me on Instagram, it's EMC Comic. Uh, you can see my uh, some of my acting work and stand-up comedy uh, there. And, uh, yeah, that's it. So we shall return on Wednesday, won't we, Jim? Yes, we will. So uh, join us here. Everybody st- <laughs> stay well. Wash your hands. Uh, stay away from people. and uh, Wash everything. <laughs> yeah, just keep scrubbing. Uh, but we'll, we'll see you here next time on the Andromeda Minute. Woo! Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.